What's up? Welcome to the Mark Gross Podcast. Today's conversation is juicy. Let's just call it that. It's We're going in. We're going in all the dimensions. We might leave this planet. Welcome. You won't even have to be high for this. You might go to another dimension, and it's going to be a cool dimension. We go into all the complexities of the human experience. I was brought upon this man's work through the way the web works, right? Serendipity. Same way I got brought Kai via Instagram, I was brought Stefanos Stefandos step as he goes by. And his work is incredible. His writing's incredible. His heart is incredible. Just articulates the human experience, the man's experience, the woman's experience, the human experience. So, and he does it in such a soulful, transcendent way. So, you know, I really got nothing to lead in with other than, hey, my only ask is give this this bad boy, this podcast, a five-star review, a written review. Give it some love because that gives me some love. And share this episode if it brings you joy. Share any episode that might expand your heart, your mind, the way you see the world so that it might invite someone else to do the same. It might be, if it's what you needed, it might actually be what someone else needs. And I'm eternally grateful for that reciprocation. It's really appreciated. All right, hot off the press, I got to tell you, Organifi has a new blend, and it is chocolatey delicious. It's called Harmony, and it is made for healthy hormones. It's designed for women. So it combines superfoods and adaptogens that have been used for centuries to support inner balance and bliss. With the ladies in mind, this blend is designed so you can feel your best and experience daily harmony. It's plant-based, it's gluten-free, it's vegan, it's dairy-free, it's soy-free, got cacao, maca, shatavari, stinging nettle, ginger, turmeric, coconut milk, chaste tree. I mean, it sounds delicious. It is delicious. I've tasted it. It's chocolatey delicious, so you can't go wrong. And it's designed for healthy hormones to use during your menstrual cycle. So there you go. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love to save 20% and get free shipping, and that is special to create the lovers on top of the 20%. So go to Organifi.com slash create the love. So without further ado, here is my friend, Stefanos Safandos. I've got Stefanos Safandos. Did I do that? That's good, right? That That's really bad. good, brother. That was <laughs> bad. I'm an honorary call. Greek with that. <laughs> uh, you know, I discovered your work, gosh, it'd be about eight months ago. And I just love it. I mean, you're, you write from your soul, you write from your source and you don't hold anything back. And I love that, that there's just a level of truth to your work that I think, you know, obviously people resonate with truth. And even if it is something that challenges the way they think, especially if it is, even if it sort of shakes them and gives them some dissonance, there's still a, a weight to truth that says this might hurt, but it is actually freeing you. So I want to acknowledge you for that because whenever I read your words, I'm like, ooh, damn, that's good. So I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. Can't wait for you to share the wisdom with the people. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And I, and I, I love what you said there about that truth piece. I think, you know, if we, if we carry an intention to speak our truth without wanting to maliciously hurt other people or offend other people or be abrasive and, you know, provoke other people into a quote unquote negative place, I think if we're all doing that, uh, we're, I think we're all elevating and expanding our own sense of self and consciousness. You know, I, I never, I never write with an intent to hurt other people or think, ha I'm going to fucking hurt someone today. <laughs> <laughs> right. I just, I just, I, I do want to, you know what? I think back at, in my life and some of the biggest breakthroughs and realizations I've had have come from having my entire or part of my paradigm shattered. That's the truth for me. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. I think, you know, when, when someone will ask me like, oh, should I tell them the truth? And I'm like, hell yeah, because uh, there's a great line from Elizabeth Gilbert's book. I've shared this for sure on the podcast. Uh, sorry, from Glennon Doyle's book. Uh, where Elizabeth Gilbert's talking to her about her divorce. And she says, there's no such thing as one-way liberation. Like mm -hmm. if you are liberated by making a choice, the other person is liberated too. Even if they don't like the taste of that liberation yet, there yep. is something about it. And, you know, 
even if it was in a moment where, because usually most of my real expansive personal growth experiences have either come from my own (laughs) poor choice, but the majority of them have come actually from someone telling me how I'm experienced by the world, usually a woman. And it might not have landed exactly in that moment, but it did make sense maybe six months later, or it shook something in me that said, integrity is actually on the other side of what you're avoiding, you know? And, and so there is something to that. Yeah. I can very much resonate with that. And particularly the part about, you know, usually by a woman that that's been very true for me as well. And, and it sort of got me thinking the first thing, when you said that, the first thing that came to me was go, mm, yep, I, I hear that. I resonate with that. And the second thing was, and that's why we need more men in closer collaboration pulling each other forward, calling each other forward, challenging each other in a really healthy way. Because when it also comes from men, men to men, there's something very powerful in that as well. Not not better or worse, just equally as powerful in a different way. And that's, I think, something that we're missing in our society that was, it, it, I've had very close male friendships for most of my life. And it was by default because I tried to get out of my household because I grew up in a very violent household. And and really attached and attracted, you know, great, great male friendships. I've always had strong male friendships, very blessed, but they yeah. never really called me forward. They, 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 they never encouraged a better version of me, the majority of my friends, right? We just, we just got stuck in this cesspool of being in, in, in the shadows and being out of integrity. And we just fed that with each other. And so having quality men call you forward you know, in addition to having that woman call you forward, or you can say, you know, representation of the feminine and or the masculine calling us forward, I think is very, very powerful. And and, and for me in my life, it's helped me be a more harmonious, balanced individual, which I think is what we're all striving for, right? that, that homeostasis. We're all looking mm-hmm. at that at some level. Yeah. When you're saying all that, one thing that I, I want to hear your thoughts on is I think like men in general from just sort of the history of, let's say, what is uh, moved into agriculture and then sort of the, as the patriarchy birthed and, and got more expanded and more rooted and then capitalism and all the things that feed it. I'm curious if, because I think we've created an environment where feedback from women is not actually, a, you know, we, we created power structures in a way that we never actually had to hear how we were being experienced by the world. And mm. if we were a man of enough power, you didn't even get negative social feedback from your uh, cohorts. And, and in a way, I sort of think about that of like, yes, our most transformative experiences and your and I's experience has been at the, the voice of a woman. And when a, when a man steps into that space, it's sort of like women have been working so hard to try to wake us up. You know, in a lot of ways, as they've been doing their own work, feminist revolution, you know, you think like sexual revolution, we've got so many revolutions that have occurred. You've got the Me Too movement, you've got Mm -hmm. uh, the Women's March. And really, that's the gaining of power. And ours needs to be the dissolution of or the um, pulling up or the whatever the term might be. And I think about that in the context of like, women aren't going to save us. You know, like they're not because they got enough saving for themselves and it's not their work to do. And I'm curious just your thoughts on what I shared. And then uh, I'd like to get into how, how do we even begin (laughs) that? Let's solve all that today. If you would, (laughs) that'd be great. You you know, I actually think it's not that complicated uh, to intellectually speak about it or to put it in words. And and Mm -hmm. there's many theories out there. There's many paths, I think, as well. Um, I think doing it is is what's more challenging. It's it's breaking the pattern, the the entrenched attachment to the old. That's really difficult. Was the pain that that stirs up is mm-hmm. so confronting and so intense that we do everything we can to avoid it. I very much resonate with with what you said. I don't think we need women to save us. I don't think we need um, mothers in our side by side intimate romantic partnerships. Um, I don't think that. The the and let me just be very clear on, on at a very simple level, masculine, feminine energetics as a, an expressive in the world resides within every human being. There's no, it's not gender specific per se. Biology plays a role for sure. I think if we look back how we've evolved, 
and that's a longer conversation. I think biology plays a role, and we can't deny that biology doesn't no, play a role. It's can't. just not exclusive, right? Right. Um, and I'm and I'm really I'm pretty firm on that because for me it just means well we're we're also physical beings, but we're also more than physical beings. So right. it all plays a part. And I think what's really important for us as men is to step deeper into sovereignty, to step deeper into self-reliance. I'm, I'm going to list some qualities or virtues, right? Empowerment. You know, we've been a very unhealthy shadow expressive of masculinity, you know, control, autocracy, power hungry, um, oppression, forceful. Like we've really been in that energetic. And if we haven't been in that, we've been in the maybe the opposite of that. In another extreme where we've been meek and withdrawn from the world, where we haven't been connected to what's really been important to us. We haven't had confidence. Mm-hmm. We've lacked belief. We've been isolated. I don't think we evolved that way. We didn't evolve to be isolated. We we evolved in in social cohesion. And that's men, women together, men together in their own band because there's a familiarity there and then and then women together as well. And and we've we've distanced ourselves from celebrating the differences. And what we've done is we've demonized our differences. Mm-hmm. And I think over time that's perpetuated and it's it's bridged, it's created this massive chasm of I'm here and you're here, and I see my qualities and who I am to be better than yours, therefore you're less than me, therefore do what I say. Mm. And that that's fucked us, man. I think that's, that's created such a divide for us that coming back from that I don't think is easy. And and we and we want that. We we almost want to go, oh, okay, let me apologize for everything. Nothing wrong with apologizing. That's ownership. Yeah. But then what happens is we move. I know and this has been so true for me, man. I mean, I got into a shame cycle just the other day, uh, uh, Saturday morning. It's Monday now, Saturday morning. And what we do is as men sometimes when we really surrender to, oh, not only generationally can I see what's happened here, but I can see how I've been in my life and how I've taken on qualities of my environment, whether it be my father being abusive or violent or arrogant or unavailable or whatever it may be. And I've adapted that as my own voice and my own sense of expression in the world and the way I treat me and I treat others, particularly women. Now I'm going to shame myself for it because I need to punish myself. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's what we know. It's like we, we know to punish others to feel better, so we'll punish ourselves to feel better. And we mm-hmm. get stuck in this shame cycle that then what does it do? Further isolates us. For me, yeah. when I get stuck in a shame cycle, I'm very unapproachable. I feel such, I feel terror. And the way I deal with it, generally, I get, because it's a fight or flight response, I get very abrasive. I push people away. I, I can't communicate effectively and clearly. I'm very emotional. I'm volatile. I'm reactive because I'm stuck in this. One of my patterns is, oh, I've done something wrong. I've messed up. It's my fault. I feel so terrible now that everyone's not having this. I'm making these stories up, right? Not everyone's having this yeah. experience that they could have and it's my fault and I'm going to punish myself for it. And that is such a common theme for men. I don't know what your experience has been with that, but for me, man, that shame cycle has created such ruptures in the fabric of my relationship, relationships to myself and to others. And it's something that I'm consistently, you know, working through. I'm able to pick up the patterns and the connections a lot better these days. I'm able to move through it a lot quicker with compassion and kindness and Mm -hmm. take responsibility for it and not expect someone else to remove that shame for me, which I've done in the past, either through distraction, so prostitution, pornography, sex, food, adrenaline, whatever, or demand that my partner make me feel better by her changing her actions. Mm. It doesn't work, man. Right. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) All of these being the escape from presence within ourselves. And, you know, I, I think of my own experience of, uh, managing shame, unworthiness, very similar, uh, went into the same distractive processes, lacked presence to myself, drank, partied, uh, womanized, was busy, extroverted, always doing stuff, building, you know, everything to avoid stillness and like going into that space of like exploring the unworthiness, exploring where I learned that, exploring where my worth was attached to providing or whatever it might be to being perfect, to not having any deviations or poor choices or behaviors that that are human. I'm not talking about the ones that are necessarily destructive, but just mistakes you make as you learn and grow and you do this thing called life. We've sort of, especially I'd say in the culture today, it's like there is hardly any space for 
a mistake, for like humanness, for like we're having conversations we've never had ever on such a grand scale, not you and I specifically, but I mean, just as a collective. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. We're going to get the words wrong in the wrong order. And I'm not saying that about things that are clearly destructive speech, but speech that's actually about broadening our view, speech that's actually about healing and, and changing the way that we see things. You know, I saw the other day, a guy on Instagram talking about how like men need to get their balls back. They need to get into the war, you know, like protect their villages. And I do think that there is an element, obviously, that we do need to be able to stand in our warrior, stand in the truth, stand in fighting for what's right. But I don't think you have to do that at the cost of your empathic, compassionate side, right? right? It seems like it's, as you were saying, we're either in this like withdrawn from the world or fighting in the world. Yes. And it's like, how do you find that balance? Yeah. I think part of how we find that balance is choosing to learn from the past of extremes, like choosing to learn from witnessing either in others or in, in our family, in our generations, in our, in our, the generational trauma we've experienced as men, as families, as women, like all of that. And choosing to learn from those extremes as opposed to just perpetuating the old because it's comfortable, because it's a habit and it's comfortable. So therefore it's familiar, therefore it feels safe, therefore I'll do it, even though it's really not getting me anywhere in terms of my own in, intrapersonal evolution and revolution of self. I think that's where we have to begin is to, to begin to explore what would a different way look like mm-hmm. you know, in a safe place, right? And this is why we need community. This is why we need other, you know, we're speaking just for men for a moment, we need other strong men around us to be that safe, that very, very safe space to explore. I mean, I can tell you a story from the week and that was so, and I'll give you the very, very short of it, really short. Mm-hmm. Of it. Yeah, please. To, we're, we're in a group, we were doing some uh, activities. Uh, part of that is is um, tactical shooting and um, and training and so forth. There's just typical it's of, Saturday in Texas. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah it, that's man. right. I'm in yeah. Texas. So I've, I've, I've got to I've got to be a Texan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a few of us there. A couple of new people. The instructor is an amazing, amazing instructor. Ex ex spec ops guy. Um, and we're just learning. We're learning new skills on, on various levels, you know, in, in our in gross motor skills and, and more refined motor skills and, and all of that. And there's two new people, there's a couple of new guys and instructor clashes with one of the guys and, and he's friends with us. We've just met him and this and that. And long story short, there was a massive personality clash and it really escalated very quickly over the two days. It's particularly when you've got guns and men and um testosterone you having steak too just to add to it oh there's yeah. a lot of steak of course yeah 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 <laughs> it's I knew it. 110,000 acres oh yeah it's a, it's a big ranch so but all of that and it could have gone really quote-unquote bad mm-hmm. we sat there as men speaking the truth i initiated that conversation because it had to happen and we all got involved and at the end of it one of the men that was behaving unhealthily sat there, owned his shit, had many tears, and asked for a hug. And this is a, wow. this is a, yeah, and this is a man who's, I want to try to explain, you know, he's very, he's, he's very successful in the external world. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for the, for the ego to be involved. He's in front of men that are very accomplished as well particularly our instructor in different ways, right? And this is all private training and we, we it's, it's fun, right? We do it for fun. It's, and we mm-hmm. do it to bond and get together. It's very, there's a lot of athleticism involved in all of that. And he chose to really own his position and we supported that. Mm-hmm. And we all did that together. Like it was uncomfortable for everyone. But instead of going, the old me, like six years ago, the old me would have lost my shit. I would have mm-hmm. wanted to to fight or, or I would have done, you know, just completely ignored it. But what I witnessed in those moments was the maturity of four guys coming together, choosing to actually do different from their past. Because I know each one of these guys intimately enough to know where they've come from and how they would have dealt with that situation previously and how I would have dealt with that situation previously. And this, this grown man, like, I, I have such admiration for him such strength and courage to really cry in front of it and not 
Yeah, that's big. Yeah, to release, he was feeling such shame. And he, instead of walking away from that, he sat in it. Mm. And there wasn't, there weren't any words needed in those moments. It was just, this guy needs to express and he's got some pent up stuff and he's been taking it out on us and on himself the whole weekend. And instead of shaming him further for it, because that's where the source of it is, of his behavior, we sat with it. And I was really proud of myself, man, because in the past, I would have told him to get fucked. I would have been aggressive to him. I would have said, this is not appropriate. Like what it, you know, and I would have done it in a way that would have mm-hmm. shamed him more because that's what was done to me. And I noticed a yeah. generational break then. I think he experienced that. And every, every one of us experienced something really deep then. And it's those micro moments of bonding and connecting that if we can do more of, I think that's part of the how, Mark. I think that's part of how yeah. we should. We have to surround ourselves with, with people that are, are willing to, to shadow walk with us, you know, people that are willing to go deeper with us. You, you mentioned um, a gentleman earlier, earlier, Francis Weller, and, you know, I, I gather that he's willing as a, as a therapist, as a, as a coach, whatever his title is, he's willing to go to those very, like yourself with your clients, willing to go to those very dark places because you've been there. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get scared of it. You're not going to shame them. You're going to walk with them. And I think we need more of that in our world. I think about that experience for the men in that group and how, you know, we've had emotional regulation-ish modeled by women for us. You know, the emotional fluency, some emotional regulation, I can't speak for everyone's experience, but to have it modeled by men is so different. To have like where conflict led to intimacy, led to presence, led to this conversation that you're talking about that then led to healing. I mean, like, you're you're right. How many men's groups generally would have handled that in a different way? You know, and to know- Particularly that, that type of group, man, like particularly, you know, <clears throat> ex-spec ops military guy, like, you know, it's, I've done a lot of work with spec ops guys over the years, more yeah. Australian military in New Zealand. And I, I understand the culture very well. And I was so impressed with everyone. Like just the way it was, yeah. it was a very, is a big teaching moment for me, man. Like I've, I've, I'm very inspired from that. I learned a lot from that and what life can really be about as opposed to just being reactive to protect ourselves. And I've lived like that all my life, man, or most of my life, sorry, most of my life. Yeah, it's like this idea that when male strength is in the presence of male emotion, that it in some way there's some sort of trade-off, that male emotion means the absence of strength as opposed to like, and this could be true for all a human experience, that the that the demonstration of emotional fluency even is in some way connected to your lack of masculinity when emotions, emotionality, those are all actually indicative of your strength as a communicator, a leader, a human. Uh, They're not in any way connected to the construct of what you are as a man and who you are as a man. Yeah. So you had this experience and I'm, so when you're, because you don't work exclusively with just men, do you? No, not at all. In in fact, um, you know, if I look at my call it a database or whatever, the, the individuals that I'm journeying and working with at the moment, I, I'm actually working on a, a, with a, a lot of couples at the moment. I just I do couples work, women. Oh, I help men generally just become greater versions of themselves when I'm working specifically with men and women, understand men and, and couples, of course, enrich and enliven their relationships at, at, at many levels. And they come into me at different, they come into working with me at different levels. But ultimately, it's all about clearing the clutter of the past so you can be the greatest version of yourself and really create that, you know, and, and not come from a place of repeat essentially. So when you're working with couples and you're like, you know, in this dynamic exploring it, mm. what are some of the the things that you find are the ways forward, the ways through that are really helpful? Yeah, I think a big part of it is what we've just been speaking about, shame, right? And so we we tend to hide our shame or we tend to mask our shame or work through our shame with reactive patterns that we feel protect us, but generally isolate the other person or push them away. And so instead of being attracted to each other, we we repel each other and we push each other away. And then everything becomes difficult. Communication, sacred sexuality, intimacy, seeing each other, planning, feeling each other fully being present to each other, that presence piece is so important. Like we lose all that and we go into survival mode and it's all about logistics and structure. That's another way that we get into this extreme masculine energy. 
because there's no feeling there because feeling opens the wounds up to, oh, well, if I start feeling, I'm going to also touch shame and mm-hmm. I can't do that. And so these couples generally just go on, on repeat for years and years around how they see each other, how they see themselves in the eyes of each other. And it's all so unconscious. And so really I want to, I want to just gently call out the elephant, the pink elephant in the room and, and, and work with that and say, it's okay to work with this. Like it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a big issue that, Hey, you know what? You're really angry. Cool. Stop hiding it. Hey, you have a lot of resistance to being with your partner in any intimate way. Do you think it's because you haven't released the resentment maybe from something he or she did 10 years ago? Why don't we just open up that conversation and then use somatic tools, whatever it may be, other tools and techniques to really work through that and shift it from your body-mind experience and then bring a new sense of self into the relationship? That transformation, I mean, I would imagine that it's one, so the purpose of getting sort of connected to reality of what's actually going on below the behaviors Mm. is so freeing because it's like, finally, the stuff's witnessed. Finally, you know, it's like I might, that resentment that I've been holding for so long because I never fully cleared or there maybe there was never safe to be mm. space to be cleared because me clearing my resentment is connected to your experience of shame. Mm. You know, it's amazing how with couples, so much of the stuff that's going on on the surface, I would say almost all the stuff that's going on on the surface is just data that's um, how unresolved emotion is being expressed. You know, like you said, you lose your connection to sacred sexuality, you lose your connection. Like you don't want to be present because presence means rage coming up, sadness coming up, unresolved shit. I've found as well, man, you know, something that's really interesting is people want, they want this ideal life, but they're not willing to release the aspects or the experiences that they've had that have formed their identity to the life that they currently have. And they're so attached to that life because if I don't do this, then who am I? If I'm not an angry person, who am I? If I'm not a jealous person, then who am I? If I'm not a sad person, if I'm not a if I don't, if I'm not accustomed to playing the victim, if I'm not codependent, needing someone else's love to validate my self-worth, then who am I? And most people we're not mm. willing to let go of that. We're not willing to release that to step into the unknown because the unknown is so scary, even though there's a possibility that it may enliven our lives and enrich who we are. And so much of this for me, from my experience, inner child work and really working with that that aspect of self during the the very stages of developmental years where so much of our identity and our patterns and our beliefs are formed that then carry over into our adult relationships, particularly our romantic partnerships. And, you know, Havel Hendricks speaks to this a great deal and I love his work, uh, him, him and his wife as well. And so, so much of that work is about as an adult, we will pursue what we consciously and unconsciously did and did not receive from our primary caregivers. You know, these, these deified versions of, oh, you are my God, but our parents aren't our gods, but we're so reliant on them and, and, and we develop these attachment styles. I'm not just speaking about attachment theory, but the way that we relate to ourselves and see ourselves through the eyes of our parents. And the reality is hurt people hurt people. And so many parents are hurt themselves and are just in a survival state themselves. They haven't done their their generational mm-hmm. healing. They haven't freed themselves from their own pain. And that just leaks into the dynamic with their children. And that's just passed on and continues to be passed on. And at some point, we have to make the choice that I'm going to break this cycle. I'm actively going to break this cycle. And it's not necessarily going to be easy. And the shift that has to occur from why is this, why is this falling on my generation as opposed to like, which that can be true. And what an opportunity, like what an opportunity. Cause I find when you do the healing work within yourself, not only do you stop passing on as much stuff, you know, to the next generation, you also heal up because you have to change how you relate to your parents. You know, I, I, I remember hearing once really powerful was like, Instead of like, start to think of your parents as the children of parents. And then you get some context, at least maybe some compassion, which isn't, which is not the same thing as saying what they did was okay. That's totally different. It's uh, still saying what happened or what occurred was not okay, 
but at least I have some understanding of why uh, what why the thing happened or why the thing occurred. Yeah, so, I think that yeah that grants us an access point. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you know we we try to separate sometimes. I think in in our humaning we try and separate our logical rational aspect of self with our feeling and emotional aspect of self and. To some extent, there's a distinction, of course, but I don't know if we can actually separate them. And so what I mean by that is when we understand something, we feel safe. And that sense of safety allows us to explore these feelings that help us free this old aspect of self, these unfelt trapped feelings. So if you were Mm -hmm. abused as a child, sexually, physically, emotionally, and you had to withhold all of that in because if you spoke or if you retaliated in some way or you acted out, you'd just get abused more. And so that was one of your protective strategies. That's going to be very important for you to feel those feelings that were held in for so long. But in order to feel them and feel safe enough to at least begin that process, having an understanding of what's happened, what's happening, and what may happen can really help us feel safe enough to do so. And so that understanding piece is really important. And then what follows that or what what oscillates between understanding and feeling, understanding and feeling. And a lot of Joe Dispenza talks a lot about this. Like it, it really it's it's the foundation of his work. Like when you go to his um retreats or you start understanding his teachings, it's a lot of helping you understand what's happening in your body in order for you to go, oh, I get it. Oh, I'm curious. Let me go in there and try that now, right? Because that's the exciting part. But if someone just says, oh, yeah, go do this and this may happen, you're like, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so what you're speaking to is really, really important. And then it's that that feeling piece that frees us because we're feeling unfelt feelings that need to shift and, and dislodge from our bodies and to create space space for something new, space for a, a new possibility of being in the world. Mm, I th- I find so many people are on that process of wanting to understand, right? Like seeking the understanding first. Mm. And so they might understand where it comes from. And I, I as you're saying, that's such an important aspect of it. And I, I, I sort of think like, often you don't need to know where a behavior comes from in order to know you don't want to do it anymore, you know? And and so there's this l- line, though, that I think understanding provides a lack of personal responsibility for what mm. occurred. And so mm. then you feel free to then work on the behavior because you inherited it and it's not something you were born with, like the identity that you were flawed and born this way, as opposed to because you don't really have to go. I think you only have to go up five generations, assuming no divorce. And you look up that family tree and you have 30 people's shit, you know, and then if you like yeah if you then assess like what was going on from a messaging perspective five generations ago, because five generations is probably a hundred years, a hundred and a bit years, 150, maybe Mm. there was, the world was completely different. The constructs of relationship were completely different. What we expect today from a relationship, the construct of what it meant to be a man or a woman. And now anything sort of how you identify that wasn't even a conversation, you know, before. Mm. So you have so many dynamics that are from, you know, an epigenetic perspective, if we think about it in a, in a behavior pattern inheritance, as opposed to like a biological expression, it is a form of biological expression. Sure. It's just more literal and behavioral. It's like, how could you not have compassion for yourself? But then where's, because you're talking about the hardest part, right? Which is where does the understanding go to transformation? When does, like, what is required to make the behavior acknowledged, recognize that it's destructive, like how I protect myself from being hurt or feeling shame is actually perpetuating hurt and shame within myself and other people. It's a block to intimacy. It's a block to connection. There's that leap though, that you got to make between the old and the new. And there's a space where you know nothing Mm. because you don't have the new evidence, you know, because of course people go, well, guarantee me that I'll get what you're saying. And we're like, well, we can't because actually part of the work is accepting there's no guarantee. Part of the work is not doing it for the guarantee. It's doing it unconditionally because you know it's your healing. So it's not to get an outcome. It's actually the journey and the process to become who you become on the way mm. to the outcome. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, what do you think about that Raj Mataj? I don't even know if that's a yeah. right term of thought spillage. Yeah, I love it. Um, so exploration, there has to be intrinsic value in the exploration. And to answer your question very directly, we live, our collective consciousness, I believe, is in a space where we learn at the moment, 
we learn generally, this is a generalization, we learn best through uh, extremes and we learn best through hitting rock bottom. And that's, that's been my- a, that's an accurate that's an accurate yeah. generalization. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think it's the only way to learn and grow and to deeply transform in any way. No, I, I definitely don't. I know it's not the only way. And I've, I've, you know, there's there's sitting under a tree and being in a deep meditation or meditative state and everything that's led led up to that, and then boom, a flood, a spiritual revelation comes through to you, and deep transformation is recognized, and you can take action on that. That you know, bolt of lightning hits you, boom. You know, near death experience, boom. There's there's many other ways as well. They're po- positively generated. I like way. the apple, uh, the tree experience. That sounds like the gentlest. But we don't wait for that. You're right. Sure, we don't. Sure. We're like the uh, fucking lightning has to hit you in the head. The fucking divorce has to happen. The yep. breakup. The yep. The the police charge. The yep. bankruptcy. Yeah. It's like stop waiting for that. But you need it to wake up. Yeah, because we we we're so dis- and to me that's a self worth thing. That's an imprint on low self-worth within the individual. We have to wait for bad, yeah, for bad shit to happen to us, right? Really, really bad shit to happen to us, whatever it may be, like the divorce, the the breakup, the the causing trouble, the being a delinquent, the going deep into drugs, the wanting to get the attention, wanting to get the validation, trying to find a way outside of just dealing with our stuff, dealing with our repressed trauma, dealing with our repressed pain, dealing with our sense of not being happy with who we are in the world, whether it's a job or whatever it may be, right? the job that we have or the people that we're with or the, the family dynamics that we entrench ourselves in. And the collective consciousness of humanity is at a point where we don't learn, unfortunately, without going deep into hitting rock bottom. Because then we get this experience of, oh, I can't go any further. I guess I better change. Uh, yeah, it's like we of, hit the end of the path and the path the end of the black. path, right? The pain of not changing needs to outweigh the pain of remaining in the same space that we're occupying and who we're being in the world. And that can often take many, many jolts to realize that I have to do something different. It is a, it's a deep visceral surrendering. It's a spiritual surrendering. It's a, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And the posture opens up, the mind opens, the heart opens, the armor falls away. And we at some point, and this isn't the answer that most people want to hear because we live in a society that is quick fix, short-term gratification. Right. Let's hack this. Yeah. I can hack yeah. my expansion. Yeah. Right? Let me, yeah. Let me hack it. Let me spiritually yeah. hack it, biohack it, psychologically hack it, whatever it may be. <laughs> right. And that's cool. And that helps and works sometimes. But when we don't have a foundation of deep integrity in the substructures of our soul, of who we really are in the world and how we express and how we view ourselves, that those hacks are temporary. They're just Band-Aid solutions. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's the, the, the answer to it. For me, you've got to get really comfortable with the mystery. You've got to get really comfortable with uncertainty. You've got to make a definitive decision, definitive decision, definitive decisiveness, masculine energetic, mystery, feminine energetic, there's a union, there's a merging there. You make a definitive decision to say, I will leap and plunge myself into the unknown. The image that I would have for myself when I made that decision, when I was in so much pain and so much struggle in my life, the various stages in my life where I was suicidal, it was very, very dark. The only way I was able to transcend the old and move into a newer version of myself was to have this image of me standing on this cliff and it was dark and it was stormy and there were it was dark ocean b- below me, long, long drop. And there were jagged rocks and there were some spaces where they looked open and it was, I didn't know what was in there though. And I had to jump because if I didn't jump, I'd just be staying on that same platform that I was leaping from and the, the, the behavior that was coming from the same place. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't jump, I just wasn't going to experience anything new. And I surrendered to, I'm either going to end up actually killing myself because it's going to be too difficult, the pain. I'm going to end up in a mental asylum because this exploration, I don't know. Like it just feels so intense right now that I don't know what's next. Or I'm going to live through this and do my best to be in integrity and be an inspiration for others or just live my life, not even be an inspiration for others, just live my life and just maybe just share some of what I've learned. And I always had that third one in my mind, but I had to surrender to death I had physical death 
And I had to surrender to losing my identity, losing everything that I was, literally accepting these are the options that may happen. Like the, 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 these are my worst case scenarios, like losing all my friends, losing everything I have, my capabilities, my mind, everything that makes me me, that makes me valuable in the world, my, my, my physicality, my body, my face, like everything. And until I surrendered to that and really plunged, n- no change for me was possible because I'd gone to such extremes because my, 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 I kept pushing my self-worth, right? And I kept pushing. This is what the interesting part, Mark, was I would keep behaving in a way like cheating on my partners or engaging in alcoholism or, you know, the, the pushing people away, being very aggressive. I would keep pushing people to test them, to test how much would they love me because I was seeking that worth and that validation outside of myself. And if I figured if I can just be the worst that I can be and they still love me, then I'm worth something. Mm. But it was ungratifying because it wasn't coming from me. Right. Like you're not loving who you are to get nope. it. So the it can be taken away. And it's dependent on your behavior for external validation rather than intrinsic. Yep. And it felt yeah. empty. It felt really, really empty and out of control. I felt disempowered. So what I try and do, do things that would make me feel empowered again and in control. So as we, let's say we've experienced a rock bottom, let's say we've experienced actually even just a gentle shift. That's like, Hey, there's more available to you. There's a deeper level of integrity. There's a, like you talked about that space of going from validation through external, you know, I can be my worst and people still love me. So that validates that I'm lovable. Yes. How Yeah. And so like when you start to step into the reclamation of your worth coming from you, you then have to, which is what's really interesting about this balance. And I want to hear your thoughts on what I'm sort of vocally processing is there's something about stepping in. So if you're out, let's say your life is out of integrity and you're surrounded by other people who sort of value similar things and et cetera, et cetera. When you actually start to step back into your integrity, into your soul, into your values, that you actually often lose the thing that you were like you were getting external validation and belonging from the old behavior. So you might experience no belonging or a lack of belonging or less belonging by actually being more within yourself. So can you talk about the processing of that? Because that's an interesting thing because I think there's a grief associated with that because you realize you've been giving it away all along. Like there's a rage, a grief. Yeah, Yeah, tell me more. Yeah, well, there's definitely a rage and a grief, and most of us don't want to grieve. Right? Like it's very difficult to grieve. It's just very painful, and so we avoid pain. Again, we live in a society, and we're we're also pleasure seeking beings. Like our, our brain is always attempting to keep us safe, and keep us in homeostasis, and keep us away from feeling very dense feelings in our nervous system or in us in our psyches, and so that grief and anger and rage and depression and whatever it may be needs to be felt. And for me, it's a void. There's a void because we all need belonging. It's how we've evolved. Yes, we've evolved in in different means biologically and environmentally, but part of that has been um, being in cohesive groups of people that are supporting each other. Now, that varies and changes from culture to culture what support looks like and being seen witnessed and held and accepted and all of that and that's that's definitely evolved as well over time and over different cultures but we need to have this sense of belongingness and all of a sudden when you're not deriving that belongingness from someone else it's a big shock to the system so you've got pretty much two choices pretty much you either go back to your familiar source of I'm going to get this worthiness or value or validation or sense of belongingness from outside of me, or I'm going to go within, which is very foreign, very unfamiliar, very different, complete shock, and I'm going to try and cultivate this within me. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, doing that and going through that process met, meant I had to let go of a lot. I had to let go of the aggressive behavior. I had to redefine my relationship to freedom and what freedom meant to me. I had to redefine how I showed up in intimate union, what sex meant to me, what sharing emotionally meant to me, what my past meant to me, how I saw my mother and my father, how I perceived my childhood to be, the type of person that I wanted to be. There was so much I had to let go of and so much I had to do differently. And I found that 
and I'm a pretty intense person generally. I'm sort of all or nothing. That's my personality. That that was part of what had to shift. But I also was able to leverage that all or nothing personality to really lean into this new way of being, you know, mm. somewhat replacing one addiction with the other, you know, initially at least, initially. But I was aware of that. But it did get me to a different place. But I was also aware that I had to change. I couldn't rem- I couldn't remain in this addictive intensity. And it's not that I have an addictive personality per se. I'm not that type of person, but I am extreme. And so yeah. I had to be mindful and careful not to go too extreme in, oh, it's all from me now. It's all from me. And I'm going to just push everyone away. And there's no value in my life that anyone else can bring. Because I would also go there sometimes because, again, we we oscillate in extremes. Right. And so my my work, my deep work was to realize that I've got a void in me around us being having a sense of belongingness, which enhances our self-worth and our confidence and our ability to do things in the world, and to not be depressed and just mope around and think we're useless. And I realized that void, I had an opportunity to fill it here. And that meant I had to explore myself. And I chose to see that as something that was of benefit, that exploration was, yes, challenging and difficult, but also exciting. You know I mean? You think about human innovation. You think about where we are today as a species, right? It's because of exploration. We've had a willingness to explore beyond the, the perimeter of our cave, beyond the the, the perimeter of the jungle or, you know, the different environmental um, different environmental landscapes, right? We've just had this constant yearning to explore what could be different. I mean, you th- think about we are where we are today, like the innovation, the the technology, the the you said it earlier around relationship constructs 150 years ago were very different to what they are now. Someone, many people in different places at different times thought, hmm, can we do this differently? Mm-hmm. Let me explore that. And so I think, just bring this back to men for a moment, men have explored greatly the outer world. And we used to explore the inner world. There's some rich history there in the ancients. Yeah. But it feels like modernity, we've lost that and we're just caught in this rat race and we, we don't stop to think and feel anymore. And I think that inner exploration, it's coming back, well, it needs to come back. And that's, that's part of that, that journey of transitioning from this is who I am, which really isn't healthy and not sustainable to who can I actually be? I think of any of those constructs of like being very externally focused or adventure focused or any of that, that's about outside. You know, I think of myself because that was me, like achieve this thing, do this thing, go on this experience. And it was very much not going into the internal adventure of discovering the many layers and the complexity of our emotionality. And I I think both genders can experience the messaging of some emotions are not safe. Some experiences are not safe. I think though, as a general rule though, and a generalization, men and the idea of man and emotionality are siloed. Those are two separate things. Yes. And so as you're saying, it's like, we can get worse status, women, power, money, sex, everything by doing the adventure outside, doing the getting more land, getting more things, you know, you think sort of historically and from a colonizing perspective, all of that. And when you talked previously about, you don't actually, you do have to go back quite a few thousand years, et cetera, to, and I'm sure it'll be different culturally, but not true of the indigenous people. You don't have to go back at all to Mm. explore that relationship with the earth, with the tree, with like, there's something arrogant about that extreme masculinity that we know, like science is derived from that. Like we need to figure out the exact rule of how this works. And if we don't, if it's not on this data point, it doesn't exist. Yeah, We need certainty. Right. And you, through the senses, you invited us back to mystery, right? Like that, that adventure back to mystery, back to the feminine, back to the earth, Mother Earth, back yeah. to, you know, because when you think about indigenous cultures, 
they fight for the salmon because the salmon, you know, I'm, I, I don't have an intimate knowledge with each, you know, each uh, indigenous culture's practice, but to me, it appears as though the salmon is part of them, right? Like the earth is part of them. The trees are part of them. So there's this reverence that says, if you hurt them, you hurt me. And I, I feel like that's the invitation that's, be, that's being awarded to us, especially as men, which is when I hurt you, I hurt me. Like that inner complexity of understanding that um, when you're very individuated, especially as cultures we are, especially in North America, um, you it's about self, but not about self in the sense of understanding self, but in the self about self-preservation. Whenever you're trying to only save yourself, that means someone else is, especially when we've gotten into such a hoarding of stuff too, you know, it's such an interesting, gosh, we're in some interesting dynamics, you know? Very much so, man. Self-preservation is survival state. So physiologically, we're releasing excessive stress hormone. Our immune system is compromised. The digestive system is compromised. We become myopic in our views just from a physiological place, right? Mm -hmm. Our nervous system is tensile. We don't have space and capacity to give. Giving is receiving. Giving is the gift of life. We don't have that. We don't have access to it because we're in a survival state. Now, there's nothing wrong with individuated expression, but we have become a hyper-selfish society. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very interesting the paradoxes that exist in our societies as individuals and as a, as a collective. And there's nothing wrong with paradoxes. I think they're stepping stones to growth. I think every individual, when you you know you enter into a, a state of growth, you you transition through hypocrisy or what appears to you know hypocrisy and 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 paradoxes, and that hypocrisy is is needed in order to eventually leave that old version of self. But we do we live in this disconnected place you can see it how we how in in how we extract energy mm-hmm. how we process energy and how we distribute energy it's not forward thinking it's rapid it's at the degre- degradation of uh, what supports and sustains our life there's no real efficiency there and i say that because we have technology and access to technology that can begin to be more efficient if we put it in place, but for various reasons, uh, it's not being put in place. And so we keep placing ourselves in this reactive state. You can't grow when you're reactive because you're in survival. Mm. It's as simple as that. You can't think and dream of something bigger. I mean, this is a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, basic understanding, right? Like you, if you don't have those physical needs met, if you don't move out of reactivity, you cannot contemplate higher order things. You cannot give yourself freely and be willing to and have the courage to do so because you're in fear of what may be taken from you, whether it's your life, whether it's your resources, whether it's loved ones, whatever. And so we have to be able to break that mold. And that's not an easy one to break. That, you said you have to live through the hypocrisy. So breaking that mold means, I like that line, because that means you have to come to terms with that what you used to know and how you used to behave is actually in direct conflict with what you've now learned. Yes, acceptance and, and, and yeah, acceptance, not resignation, right? And we we avoid acceptance because we think it's resignation and we're giving up and most of us don't want to give up, but- we're all we're all fucking hypocrites, man. All of us. No. Most of the time. <laughs> Every new layer of knowledge makes you a hypocrite. And <laughs> and are you willing to repair, apologize for your former hypocrisy? Yeah. And and you know, like the when you can hold space for those things within yourself, mm. you won't try to cancel other people for them. Dude. I find that's very Right. Like when you have the capacity to hold your own skeletons, your own shame, you won't try to villainize people for mistakes. And again, I'm not speaking to like overt abuse and things like that, that have never been held accountable for. I'm talking about just general human experience, general, like, because it's not safe for us to explore things if, and to explore just the complexities of growth. If it's not safe to actually, uh, if we haven't cultivated a an environment of repair. And that's big. I mean, I think that's part of the, uh, maybe one of the first demonstrations we have to do in our own growth. And, and you know, this from like uh, programs like AA 
you write out a list of the people you've wronged and then you go repair. Well, everyone should do that anyways. You shouldn't have to be someone who identifies as an alcoholic to do that. You should go through a list of, we're all waiting for apologies, but not offering any. You know, I find that's yeah. really interesting. We're all like trying to get through a heartbreak, which that's totally fair, but we often don't consider the hearts we've broken. And I Correct. think that's a, a different perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, and that is huge, man. And the judgment piece is huge. And it, it comes back to self-love, self-awareness, self-worth. If I'm constantly judging myself, which I have for so much of my life and I still do, I, I project then project those judgments onto others because it's all I know. If my internal self-speak is negative, harsh, and critical, that's what I'm familiar with. I'm naturally repetitively, reactively going to project that onto others. And I've done that for so much of my life. And so what I really yearn for is that intimacy and connection to be seen, but I'm not seeing myself. Mm. I'm not allowing so how myself. could you? Yeah. How, how can I? I just can't. Like I can intellectually do it, sure, but I'm not holding space for me. That's what, you know, people say, oh, can you hold space for someone and can you show up to them fully? And we don't really know what that means. But for me, what it means is when you hold space, it means that, you're not bringing your shit into the container of that conversation, right? Because you're dealing with it or you've dealt with it and you're mature enough to know that whatever that individual is going through, it's really their stuff. And again, removing as a caveat, and I say this as a caveat just to be clear, but also as I think we live in a very hypersensitive society, which has complications in and of itself. And again, that's a growth spurt, I think, right? We're in a growth spurt around that too. I, but I, what I'm about to say is, again, if there's direct, you, if you're in direct harm, you got to get out. Like you got to yeah. get out. There's no holding space. Like you got to get out. I think it goes without saying, but it's good to say anyway, right? Because yeah. some people, you know, they they carry that low self worth and think they deserve to be hurt. They deserve to be beaten. They deserve deserve to be abused. And that's a no. You don't deserve that. No matter what you've done in your life, you don't deserve that. It doesn't. That's not how it works because that's just going to perpetuate more reactivity and more enemy versus enemy, you versus me, segregation, separation, isolation, and so. That that holding space is you not judging yourself, you not hating yourself, you being able to hold whatever that person's bringing because you know you've done your work. And if you have to be responsible for something, you can own it, but in a mature way that doesn't project back and is reactive and it's old wounding and um, hitting old wounding. Mm. We've got to spend the time in our own space holding our own space. And we don't do that enough. I know for my, I'm 39 in, in a month and a bit. And, and I know I didn't do that for the vast majority of my life. No, I'm 42. I didn't do it for the vast majority <laughs> of my life either. I, I wish they gave that one to you in high school or junior high. You know, they started to teach. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. You know, I appreciate that. I was learning about uh, sine, cos, and tan and the Pythagorean theorem, which I have yet to use in modern day life, but I've used relational dysfunction plenty oh, and yeah. the ability to hold space. I mean, I, it's, if I understand what you're saying correctly, it's that within the space of you and another, if mm. your space is not clear of your shit, mm. you're not holding space. You're just um, holding a space of possible reactivity. And if your self-worth is really sensitive to other people's thoughts, feelings, and feedback, then y you won't be able to separate your worth from their feedback. Correct. Right. So then you can't even hear it because you're too busy protecting. There's an enmeshment there as well, and a code yeah. yeah, and a, and a hyper protection too. Yeah, the, the simple, the short of it is, do your own work so that you can be more profound in relationship, and the other person becomes more profound in relationship as well. And for me, the the greatest mirror for that is intimate union. For me, is that sacred? Union, is that is that partnership? I mean, it it doesn't. You share such depth if you're committed to depth and committed to exploration. You share so much of that that it's very difficult to not experience that and that 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 visceral mirroring that really takes you to your edges. And then it's what you choose to do with those edges because you can choose to be reactive and make it about the other person and make it their fault and blame and shame them, or you can look at self and ask, what's my role here and what would love do now? And let me, let me shift. Let me shift this narrative. Let me shift it because it hasn't worked in the past. I've been doing the same shit for 30 years and it hasn't worked. <laughs> do something different. Yeah, with relationally, I totally agree with you. There is no greater superhighway to your transformation than being in an intimate relationship. Friendships, good. Parental child, good. Intimate relationship, 
Whenever anyone says, oh, that triggered me or that's bringing up stuff, that person is, I'm like, good. Welcome to the jungle. This is where you figure out what growth you need and where you need boundaries and where you need mm-hmm. self-expression, where you need to hear feedback, where you need to learn how to give feedback. You know, we often, I think, think it's about like, I need to make sure their language is better and they're behaving better. And and of course, people have the same internal one. I'm the problem. I'm the issue. As opposed to like, all relationships are a dance of two, mm-hmm. you know? And, and again, always separating abuse from that conversation. Yeah. 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 This is, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of stuff to continue to break down in. <laughs> I'm going to have to have you back on because I could yeah, talk brother, to you brother. all day, all day. And, and everybody needs to go follow you on Instagram because you're writing in your work and your videos and all those things are incredibly powerful and transformative. So where do people find more of you? Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate that. And again, just reciprocating it right back to you. Um, uh, social media handles at Stephanos Sifandos. Um, I'm sure there aren't many out there, so you, yeah. you'll, hear, you'll see me. <laughs> um, and I've got a couple of websites, but Grow With Steph, uh, S-T-E-F, so G-R-O-W-W-I-T-H-S-T-E-F.com, growwithsteph.com. And you can access a heap of free stuff there and just get into my main website and, and there's other um, materials and resources there as well. Amazing. Well, I'm so grateful for your time, your care, your attention, your heart. Uh, Thank you for coming and sharing with the audience. And I look forward to having you back on to chat again soon. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you so much. Thank you.